Welcome to the 64th episode of the Hail Married podcast. I'm A. Tobes, and I'm joined by my husband, the Tobes. We're back to recap the takedown in Temple. Let's get started. The Roadrunners opened American Conference play with a much-needed win. After a frustrating start to the season and a slow start to this game, the offense came alive, scoring more points in this game than in the last two games combined. Temple came out firing, marching down the field to get on the board first and take an early lead. After a three and out by UTSA, it seemed like Temple was on their way to going up by two touchdowns until the defense forced their first fumble of the season, giving the offense a short field and the spark they needed to tie the game up with a touchdown run by Kavorian Barnes. Temple would bounce back back on the next drive to regain the lead 14-7, but they would never hold the lead again, as UTSA would score three touchdowns in the second quarter to go up 28-21 at halftime. UTSA added three more touchdowns in the second half to seal the victory, 49-34. The Roadrunners improved to 2-3 and three overall and 1-0 and in conference play. What were your thoughts on the game? Well, the gut reaction, I think, right after the, the game on offense was, we're back. Right. right? Like this, this is what we've seen in the last few seasons, so it's back. And I wouldn't say that that's necessarily completely true sure but it's a very good start i think to uh, conference play i mean look 494 total yards 495 sorry to, uh total yards 338 yards passing 157 yards rushing three passing touchdowns four rushing touchdowns just balance all over the place right in your face right mm-hmm. definitely exploited the temple defense that you know we said initially was injury prone banged up and just you know not great overall Right. I mean, you know, they pushed around that defensive line and, you know, we said they were missing one of their stalwarts at nose tackle. So, you know, obviously tough for Temple, but Temple also knew that they were probably going to have to, uh, I guess, really try to outshoot UTSA if, sure. if they had a shot. So um, let's go to the defense. My gut reaction for the UTSA defense was probably like a lot of other fans that it was incredibly bad. But then on the rewatch, I'll say it right now, I thought it was a typical UTSA uh, defensive performance on the road. I'll explain further later, but it's it wasn't as bad, I guess, as I, as I thought it was. Sure. Now, I want to say that I was wrong about EJ Warner, though, because you know you had a Temple team on offense that felt very limited, mm-hmm. especially because of their offensive line. Again, you know Temple has problems on both lines, offensive and defensive, and because of some of the limitations they have on the offensive line, you know you really talked about the fact that they had to get the ball out early. So, right. you know, here you have EJ kind of getting that ball out early to his weapons. How is UTSA going to counter that? And I didn't feel like they really countered that well. Um, but then again, EJ was just spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think UTSA's defense gave him some different looks, but he responded well. And, you know, you had talked about he was sort of a statue and he needed to scramble a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that he you know, kind of sidestep pressure. He kind of moved around the pocket a little bit. He did He didn't scramble a lot, like you said. Um, and, and maybe this is just what the EJ Warner that they need. Um, but you can certainly see, I think, his talent. And what a great building block, right? Like, this yeah. this is potential for Temple to be, uh, you know, if Stan Drayton takes care of business in terms of continuing to infuse this Temple team with talent, then... You've got a great leader here and EJ Warner on offense who I think can put you in some games. Whereas right now, I don't think he can carry the team. But at the very least, 
it's a step in that direction. Yeah, I mean, you got to remember, he's still a sophomore. So in the next two years, I think Temple is going to definitely take a step up in conference play. Right, and I, I don't think we're going to suggest the fact that they're going to be like AAC winners. No, but just much, just much more competitive, yes. you know, yes. and, and not the team that you're looking at like, oh, they're going to be in the, the bottom third. Right, and that's great for the conference, right? Because the stronger that the teams get... That means more quality wins, and that right. means the, you know, we, we just go up in stature in terms of the the American Conference. So something good to see. Yeah, one of the things though that we learned in this game is the focus on the American Conference on post celebration penalties. Um, you saw two different times where we scored touchdowns and we got penalties. One was Kavorian spinning the ball, um, and then the second was Taiki spiking the ball, and. You know, Taiki spiking the ball, I think people are more familiar with that being something that could lead to a penalty. Right. Like spinning the ball was something that caught people off guard, but it certainly sounds like from what uh, Coach Trailer said after the game and from what Andy Everett has said in interviews later on that the American Conference is very focused on those types of post-game celebrations and that that will be a penalty, so... You're, you're unlikely to see that happen again from UTSA. True, but I, you know, Coach Trailer did make a point of saying that, you know, they've had all these offensive frustrations. They, they didn't play well on offense in September. Right. So you you do understand sure. it. Um, and, you know, is, is the 15 yards really that bad? It didn't turn out to be. Now, I'm with you. Probably something we just need to watch out and sure. make sure we don't continue to do that. But uh, it didn't hurt them in this game. Um, but you know, again, once you kind of you, you kind of explode a little bit, and you know, you kind of get out of the criticism of this offense is terrible. It it's a good feeling, and then yeah. getting in that end zone. I mean, look in soccer, this is why everybody celebrates, right? Because sure. it's huge that you scored, um, and this offense has just not been putting up many points. So the fact that they were able to get some big plays, uh, which we'll talk a little a little bit later. Um, it, and they it, did it in rainy weather, which has been kind of a curse for UTSA in the past. So maybe between this and the game last year against Rice in the rain, you know, we've maybe we've broken that curse. Well, I wouldn't turn the ball over. Yeah. That was huge because even against Rice, Frank had turned the ball over. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's good to see this team kind of, uh, it was a good get right game, I guess is yeah. the best way to put it, right? All right, so let's, let's go to the defense and start talking about them first since I kind of already made a... Some interesting comments about them, I guess. Sure. Look, the keys for the game for the defense were slow the running backs in the flats. They certainly did attack that with the running backs. You saw them flare it out there, seemed to cause them cause the UTSA defense a lot of problems early on. And there was kind of an interesting comment that Nick Fortune had, and Greg Luca reminded uh, me of it uh, when he was doing his kind of look back with. JJ uh, over the game and he kind of said that Nick Troy had talked about how the Temple offense likes to condense you know opposing defenses and that you know they then kind of run some you know kind of routes off that that instead of spreading out a defense it just causes them problems and I think to a certain point I saw some of that but then UTSA kind of changed their defense and because of it it went more zone, and they really caused problems by running some good routes uh, against that UTSA zone, especially against the UTSA inside linebackers and their safeties. Mm-hmm. Really put pressure, essentially, on the back two levels in the middle. Uh, and, and, you know, at, 
I don't know about you, but I kind of felt like it kind of felt like you know they were getting abused because right. first of all, you get the you had the first touchdown pass, which I'm not really sure what DeWan Griffin was doing, but he seemed to be just kind of stuck in the mud. I'm not trying to make a pun here, but he was stuck in the mud. He didn't really react, which was mm-hmm. odd. And the Temple receiver essentially outjumped both. I think it was Elliot Davison that was out there. Could be wrong about that, but he outjumped the safety and Dewan for the ball. Not a lot of toughness there, right? Right. And then you go to like mistakes where you see two linebackers on the second uh, second Temple scoring drive where they they flare a running back out in the flat. So we just talked about we're just talking about right now how they were having problems with that, and both linebackers go towards the running back in the flat, and they leave the middle wide open for the tight end to catch easy screen pass, and then he just has essentially a stroll all the way to the end zone. Just some bizarre plays. It was frustrating, right? Like early on, you know, there was some frustration on this defense. However, you talked about that recovered fumble, and you had asked to force turnovers for the love of God, right? Exactly. Like, it was really exciting to see them get that turnover because, again, it seemed like the beginning of the game, okay, here's Temple. They marched down the field. Frank looked a little rusty on that first drive, and then here they are marching down the field again. It's like, oh, okay, this game isn't necessarily going to go the way that we want it to, and then they force the fumble, and, you know, obviously then it took them, like, three plays, I think, to, to score on offense after that. Two overall turnovers in this game really should have been three. You know, we had the interception that got pulled back because of the face mask, face mask penalty um, against Jamoria Robinson, which, I mean, yes, he got the face mask. Face mask. That was definitely, um, you know, definitely a problem. Did it occur before he threw and, and, you know, should it have called it back the interception, I think is kind of the question. But, you know, certainly it was, um, you know, a poorly timed mistake. But um, then to see, you know, another fumble recovery was, I think, great because that, I think, gave, first of all, some smart spark to the defense so that they felt more confident. And then, you know, it really did kind of jumpstart the offense. Well, as much as, you know, you want to criticize Jamori Robinson, you know, and having the hand out there, right. he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, right? right? It's just unlucky that he got the face mask. Right. But later on, him putting his arm out is what causes that fumble, mm-hmm. that second fumble. I think we'll give up that that one right. just to say that, look, it it ends up helping in the end anyway. And, I mean, can we go back real quick? Jamori Robinson, like, we're starting to see his name more and more. Like, sure. What stud? Like, he's really starting to come on. And it's really, I think, what a great addition, I think, um, to this defense. Uh, you know, it needs all the help it can get in certain positions. And for Jamora to start kind of standing out, I think, is huge. All right. Let's get to that comment I made about, like, well, this was a typical UTSA road performance. Because it was. I mean, in many ways, this defense gave up yards, much like it does in the LEP era as defensive coordinator on the road. You know, they allow 29.2 points per game. They allow 34 in this game. They allow 422 yards per game. Uh, they allowed 542 yards here. But I think you can see that that disparity possibly caused, you know, gave them that extra um, five-point score there. Um, and then on the road, you know, in the left era, they stopped 60% of the offensive drives that they faced. So six out of every 10, they allow about four scoring drives every 10 drives. This game, 
So it all lines up. Mm-hmm. So as much as we say, look, this was a terrible defensive performance. Look, I get it, but this has been a typical lep defense where you have missed assignments, you have confusion, you have the defense just not playing up to their certain standard. And, you know, to me, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like this is exactly what we've grown to see under Just Love. Yeah, I think it just becomes all the more shocking because we had such great performances against Houston and Texas State that looking at this performance in comparison to those first two weeks, if they were different seasons, it wouldn't feel quite as shocking. But I think the fact that these are happening, you know, in the same season, and yes, there have been some injuries and that sort of thing, but you're just trying to figure out, like, how did you start so well and then fall apart? Right. I mean, really, it's not, you know, if you took out Houston and Texas State and we were just looking at how we performed in, in the LEP era, it wouldn't be that surprising. Right. And, you know, just to back you up on the Houston and Texas State, they had 23 drives they faced from both teams in that in those two games. They only allowed six scoring drives. Six. There was a dominance there that we felt like they've turned the corner, right? Yeah. And, and so that's why I think it, it, it really resonates when you make those statements about the fact that, look, there have been injuries, but they keep talking about next man up, right? So... What is it about this defense? You know, we haven't seen this type of dominance either from those first two games since La Tech and Rice last year. But those were really weak teams. Sure. I think it's fair to say that this Houston team, even though it's not very good, is still stronger than either one of the, the La Tech or Rice last year. Yeah. And you have Texas State, which is to me definitely much more talented, much better coached, just overall a much better team than La Tech and Rice, even put together. Sure. So, look, uh, you know, I, I think overall, I think I'll just go back to something I said about, you know, UTSA when they were having those penalty issues. And you're like, we kept talking about the fact that, well, like, they just continue to have penalties. To me, it's ain't nothing but a family thing. It's just who UTSA is. That's who they're going to continue to be against, you know, under Jeff Lepp. And I think the toughest part here, and something we had talked about away from the pod, is... This is Lep's third season. By this point, his recruits, his the players he has on defense should be fitting the scheme that he has. But I question whether it's the right scheme, not for the just for the team, but for Jess Lep. Let's go back. The original defensive coordinator for Jeff Trailer was Tyrone Nix. Jess Lep took over uh, the UTEP game in 2020, near the end of the season, and didn't really make any changes in terms of how the defense was set up. Now, maybe Jesslep is a three-down lineman type of, you know, defensive coordinator. But you would have imagined there would have been some other sprinkles into it, you know. And I don't really know what it is. Mm-hmm. I know that it's got a lot of good athletes. I know that they make some really good plays sometimes, especially against weaker teams. But when they have to go toe-to-toe against some really explosive offenses, or even some pretty good ones that our coach well like this temple offense i mean regardless of the talent disparity they certainly were coached pretty well yet you don't get the performance that you really want to see and yeah. let's talk a little bit about ej uh warner some more here because i mean i thought that they would dominate this this temple offense and they just didn't yeah it was kind of surprising i mean ej got the ball out very quickly 
you know, again, part of it might have been more of the scheme, but, and the fact that he, he did seem to, to scramble a little bit, but um, it didn't seem like we were getting enough pressure on him. It's interesting you bring that up because Coach Trailer actually said this week he wished they had installed more blitz packages. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I felt like they were blitzing, but it just didn't feel, feel like they were getting there in time, which, of course, goes back to him getting the ball out quickly. But it still also feels like there's just a disconnect, right? Like there's something just not happening. Yeah. One of the things, though, I, I will say Jess Luff has gotten a lot of criticism for, and particularly in this game, is tackling. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because when you go back and you look at the PFF scores, and I know I've said this before on the podcast, the PFF scores don't show that the tackling is as bad as what you hear from fans and other people. But if you look at this game in particular, there were some poor tackling scores, and they really were isolated to those middle linebackers and the edge linebackers, people like Jamal Ligon. Trumaine Bell, um, Avery Morris. And so I think those are maybe names of people that you aren't expecting to have poor tackling skills. And that, again, probably is is part of the issue um, and why it maybe stood out more. Um, But when you look at the safeties like Kelechi and Ken Robinson, they had extremely high scores. They weren't quite at that elite level, but they were very good. So it's kind of interesting when you hear those comments about oh again it's poor tackling it almost seems like maybe there's something else going on because again if you look at the pff scores that's not what you see in terms of the data versus what people feel from the game that's a good point but it also goes back to something you brought up in our preseason uh or our preview that you had concerns about the inside linebackers right and here we are seeing the you know the bad tackling from them so certainly something to look at uh, I also think a lot of it's just missed assignments. And there again, goes back to Jess Lepp. You know, does he have the guys in the right position to make the plays? You know, we continue to also hear from defenders that it's a not a very difficult defense to learn. Mm-hmm. So the, I guess the question to me is, do we need, I guess, a little bit more nuance to this defense? Because it's so easy, but it just feels like... But you still it, have missed assignments. Yeah, like... I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I just get kind of stumped when I start kind of wondering about some of these things because it just feels like there's just not that connection. Like you said right here, like even with tackling, right? You have pretty good tackling scores, even though it feels like people are saying there's just not, the tackling just isn't very good. Mm-hmm. So what are we missing? And I, I think I think there's a multitude of answers here, but I think it comes back to this is just something we've seen under Jess Lepp for the longest time. You right. see it improve for a while, but... I don't think it's just ever going to be to the satisfaction. So any other final thoughts about the defense? I think, you know, again, with some of the injuries, you're going to start to see some new and younger players. Um, This game we saw Marcellus Wilkerson. He's a a sophomore um, safety, somebody that Trailer talked about having wanted to redshirt, but now is going to have to play, you know, based on some different injuries. So, you know, I think, again, we'll start to see some different faces start to pop up. Um, but as Trailer says, you know, healthy teams don't win championships. Tough teams do, so... Yeah, yeah, right. All right, talk to me about special teams. You know, special teams, I thought, played pretty well during this game. Um, Agreed. You know, we talked earlier about the penalties on the excessive celebration or the spinning and the spiking of the ball. 
you know, that backed up some of those kickoffs that Tate had, yet we didn't see any big kickoff returns. And one of the things we were concerned about going into the game was the potential for one of Temple's safeties to break off a large kickoff return because he had had, I don't remember, it was a punt return for a touchdown or a kickoff return yeah, for a touchdown. Kickoff, I think there was. Yeah. yeah, against uh, Tulsa the week before. So they definitely have the potential for that explosiveness, yet you really didn't see, you know, the kickoff return coverage giving up big yardage. Very good point. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, they have obviously worked on some of these skills, um, you know, ever since the first game, right? We were talking about how just special teams just didn't seem very good at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Now, here we are five games into the season, and it's looking a lot better, right? So, yeah, I mean, we almost had our own kickoff return, great field, um, field position from Willie McCoy, but again, we had a penalty, which... And, and that's that's where you have the one got to clean that up, right? But yeah, on the other hand, it uh, it feels good to have the sort of that little explosive play from special teams. Yeah, which kind of brings us now to the offense. Let's talk offense. It's the keys to the game. Um, I had attacked the middle with the running and passing game, uh, and TSA did what they usually do. They punished you know the middle of Temple's defense uh, with the run game. I mean, it wasn't like I would say explosive but it was exactly what this team needed which was just kind of body punch body punch body punch Mm -hmm. and then you know kind of hit him over the top which is what frank did here's a key passing stat for frank from frank excuse me deep middle 20 yard throws he was two for three for 69 yards but both completions were touchdowns let me say it again deep middle That's not Frank's strength and hasn't been something that he's normally done. But here he was coming off essentially was an injury that we thought was going to kind of linger. Yeah. And we're getting some good deep throws. So let's talk about that because let's talk about it's a good return um, for Frank Harris. You talked about he was kind of rusty in the beginning of the game. He missed a few throws. But how did you feel overall early on? Did you feel like that was going to kind of snowball or did you feel like it was, he just needs a few more, a drive to kind of get more comfortable. You know, I think that first drive, you were kind of like, mm, I'm not sure. I mean, he looked like he was moving around on the field okay. Um, but then when he he did make those throws, at first it was like, okay, well, maybe this is going to take a couple of drives before he really gets into a rhythm. But then on the second drive, you know, he, he looked like himself. Definitely that time off, I think, was really good for him to heal. Yeah. I know a lot of people questioned Trailer's decision on keeping him out of those two games, but really the two games plus the bye week, you could tell Frank was moving around better. Now certainly he's not at a hundred percent. You know, he wasn't take he didn't run once um or twice, but you know, he really didn't take off the way that you would have typically seen him had he felt better. But he definitely looked much more improved than he did in the Texas State game. I would agree. And really in the Houston game before that, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, let's go back to the deep throws. I talked about just the the middle of the field, but now let's talk about all sides, you know, left, middle, and right side of the field. He was 6 for 7 for 180 yards, three touchdown passes. Every single one of his touchdown passes was over 20-plus yards. In those two games you were talking about, Texas State and Houston— he was 4 for 14 for 98 yards, one interception. No passes in the first two games in the deep middle. Right. 
But so you're right. I think going back to what you said about that time off, it, it looks like it really helped that lower body injury. And you could tell that he was able to kind of plant better mm -hmm. and he seemed just much more comfortable throwing. He looked like Frank from last year where he was able to feel comfortable in the pocket. And, you know, I think, and I could be wrong here, but let me tell you this. I really feel like all we needed him to do is just execute because we have three running backs that can handle the rushing. So we right. really didn't need him to be rushing around, even yeah. though it kind of took away a little bit of his game. But did you feel like that was like, maybe that's an adverse thing or is that like a positive thing? Well, I'm, in the past, there were times where Frank was basically running back two. And yeah. you don't necessarily want that for your quarterback. So I think it's good that he doesn't need to do that. And right now with his limited mobility, it's really good that he doesn't need to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, so honestly, the fact that we had to rely so much on Frank in the past was really more, you know, because of our running backs and their health issues than, you know, the fact that that was how we were designing our offense. Yeah, and, and I think because of it, you know, he was able to just, like I said, kind of sit back there and hand off, allow the running backs to churn some yards, like I said before, but then also he hit some nice, accurate passes. Mm -hmm. Once he got, essentially, it felt like, you know, kind of the fine-tuning, but once he was hitting his passes, I mean, it was hard to argue that he was really missing on any yeah. sort of, uh, any one of those passages receivers you know yeah one or two that he would love to have back but I mean there's I've said it before there's going to be a few passes during the game where he's going to want to have those back because sure. he feels like he could have put it in a better spot for his receivers but overall 10,000 career passing yards congratulations Frank yeah not to mention when Frank does have to run you know you are always holding your breath even before this injury you know that because he doesn't slide you know, you're always holding your breath that he's going to hurt it hurt his knee or an ankle or something. So um, it's good that we don't have to rely on that anymore. Yeah, obviously very good. I think that moving forward, we're going to see probably Frank start getting much more comfortable. But I'm kind of curious to see just how the offense kind of continues to evolve with him sort of not really having to be that huge rushing threat that right. he's been in previous years. It, it kind of, you know, it gets a little enticing, but we'll see We'll see how things go. Overall, I thought the offensive line played really well. They got shuffled around a little bit. We got Corey Godinet back into the starting lineup. Um, he was there at right guard. Um, you had Luke Lopez back at center. thought there was maybe one or two snaps that were a little bit low. But, you know, after the performance that they had in terms of putting up 49 points, kind of hard to say, oh, Luke, you know, that you just... Yeah. You really affected the offense. Uh, you know, Frank handled it like a pro. He seemed to be fine, you know, with every single snap received. You know, I thought overall Luke played well. Ernesto played well. And the left side of the line, I thought Venley Tatafu was just... He took over at left tackle, but he seemed to be going Michael Orr on, on some of these. Because, yeah. you know, Michael Orr, like, uh, in the movie The Blind Side, like, essentially takes that guy and, like, takes him to the, you know, essentially pushes him or blocks him the entire field all the way to the, the bus, right? Venley was pushing that end 10, 15 yards down the field. What felt like even much more routine bases than I noticed. Right. Um, you know, Jared from Alamo Audible kind of does the play breakdowns, and there's a few of them where Venley was really pushing his, his defender. Just 
down the field. It was uh, it was good to see, but again, you know, banged up line, you know, probably undersized yeah. guy. It it happens. Thoughts on the line? Yeah, I mean, Venley and um, Ernesto have some of the highest scores on pass blocking, so it was really good to see kind of this lining, you know, this lineup again, you know, shuffled around a little bit with um, Terrell Hayes also moving over, but I think they seemed like they were pretty cohesive. I think it's great to see Luke at the center position. You know, we were planning on seeing Ernesto in that role. He's had, um, you know, more snaps or more experience as a center, but this is Ernesto's last year. So that center position really is so critical. I think it's good to see Luke in that role now, um, getting more experience so that next year when Frank leaves, whether he's with Owen or Eddie or a combination, um, he's got that experience under his belt. So. Oh, that's a good point. I mean, taking the, he's really taken or started to own the position, and right. that that's terrific. You know, and Ernesto Almarez, just that versatility again. You know, you, you were talking about the fact that Ernesto and and Venley have the highest pass blocking scores. Always good to see your tackles. Yeah. <laughs> Being able to uh, protect Frank there. Let's talk a little bit about Robert Henry, though. We kind of teased about him a little bit earlier, but 103 uh, multipurpose yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, he really has been, I think... A surprise because again we didn't see him that much um, in some of these other practices during camp because right. he was injured but he really has been kind of that breakout star running back that has come through and is allowing Kavorian to not have to turn into that workhorse like we expected him to um, and we saw kind of that start to happen last year when Kavorian was really the only running back that we had healthy. <laughs> we all thought, okay, he's going to turn into the next sincere McCormick, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's good to know that we have, you know, Robert Henry there who can kind of take some of that weight off of him. You know, I thought Brandon High, the the freshman running back that they had recruited, um, was was going to take that role. Um, I thought, who cares? He's a freshman. If if he can do it, like get him on the field. But wow, Robert Henry has has really done a good job. You know, and Another, I would say, youngster to this team, Devin McCune. What a game. Six catches, 94 yards, one touchdown. Yeah, it was kind of interesting when they were talking about Devin McEwen, um in post-practice because they had asked Trailer, you know, did you see something in him, you know, at some point during camp that would make you think, okay, he's a true freshman and we can get him on the field and he's going to, you know, be an a impact player. And Trailer's comment was, oh, well, you know, I, I saw that with him when I started recruiting him in high school. Yeah, <laughs> But then when they asked Frank that same question, Frank said, you know, I didn't really get to spend a lot of time with him because I was limited in spring and summer. He said, but he was watching Devin and he could tell from the way that Devin played that Devin was going to be special. Um, And so he was able to feel comfortable trusting Devin. So I thought that was a really, you know, good and insightful comment to see from Frank about um, this young freshman player. You know, I wasn't sure that Frank would be able to mesh as well with Devin. I thought maybe his speed might cause Frank some problems with his passing in terms of his timing of the, his passes. But, I mean, it was it really felt like having two of the big three out there. Mm-hmm. You know, Josh Cephas was Josh Cephas. He had the most attention on him, and he just delivered like he usually does. But having Devin really break out like this and having another running back break out, it makes this offense much more dangerous and I think right. it gives you more options to I think really exploit some of the plays they did because honestly I thought they really had you know a lot of good play designs but before we get to that 
do want to talk about our third running back and Rocco Griffin. Yeah, it's interesting. It didn't seem like he got injured in the game, and I'm not exactly sure what happened, but he is not on the depth chart for the UAB game. And when Trailer was asked about it, he got kind of cagey. He didn't say that Rocco was injured. He just said, you know, we'll see if he's going to play. So I'm not sure if something happened off the field, if there was an injury, because frankly, Trailer doesn't really like to talk about these injuries anyways. So right. something happened. Not sure what. Certainly, likely we'll find out over the next couple of weeks, but it was kind of interesting to see the way that Trailer responded to that question. Which I think makes the emergence of Robert Hender even... More important. Yes, because, you know, going back to what you're talking about, the fact that, you know, Kavorian doesn't have to rush the ball as much, a fresh Kavorian to batter a defense along with sort of a quicker Robert Henry gives your, essentially your offense, just that really that change of pace that really causes some defense some problems. Let's talk, though, finish this uh, offensive piece on by talking about Justin Burke, though, because he has been so maligned. We aren't the only people that have been talking about the fact that we didn't like some of the things he was doing on offense. But he did have a move up to the booth uh, to call plays from there. Yeah, and again, so this was kind of an interesting change. You know, Trailer has been getting criticism about Justin Burke's play calling. He's been very defensive in his responses, yet he makes this change. And he said, you know, I suggested to Justin Burke that he go back and he play call from the box because I felt like he did a better job calling plays, seeing the field against Troy when he was in the box, even though we didn't have, you know, a lot of offense in that game. Right. So this is obviously something that Trailer recognized, but yet when people ask him the question, he got really defensive about it. And it, it's just funny because Trailer has gotten criticism for the way that things have gone on offense this season. One of the things that you want to see when things are going wrong is to make some changes and to say, yep, I made this change, it worked. Or I made this change, it didn't work, we're going to try something else. So this is one of those opportunities where Trailer really could have just said, we made the change, we had seen success from the Troy game when he was up in the box, play calling, you know, we made the suggestion, Justin felt good about, you know, how he could see the field. It didn't impact Frank's play because you know, the quarterback coach is now down there with Frank instead. So it was great. You know, take credit for this good decision that obviously is working out. Like, why are you getting defensive and kind of grumpy yeah. about it? Like, it was just, I don't know, I think this was a missed opportunity for Trailer to just say, yeah, you know, we recognize that this was an opportunity. We made it change. It worked. We're happy with it. Right. That's really well put. Because I felt like, I felt like Berg did a much better job of attacking the opposing defense. It didn't feel like we were playing not to lose on offense. Yeah, and like we you did saw in the first some different games. play calls in this game. Right. It wasn't it wasn't the army game where it was like or, you know, even previous games where it was bubble screen, bubble screen, bubble screen. Now we're gonna throw it really long. Then bubble screen, bubble screen, handoff, handoff, you know. It just became so predictable. It felt like we weren't really trying to do much on offense. It just felt like we just didn't want to lose. Like we're just gonna try to be as simple as possible. This felt more like Justin Burke was finally able to execute something that I think he did a really good job of designing. There was, 
you know, we didn't really talk about it, but the Taiki touchdown pass, aside from the fact that he spiked the ball, you know, he went right down the middle of the field, um, had about two or three steps on on his defender. Also cutting out towards the left side was Josh Cephas, who had gotten some steps, you know, on on that same play. Live, I saw Cephas releasing. I just didn't know because, you know, obviously it's a television screen, so you can't see the whole field, but I didn't know how open that Taiki was. But Frank threw a beautiful pass. And really, to me, what happened was you also, not only are you attacking the defense, but it felt like you made Frank much more comfortable. And it just felt so much easier to see the mm-hmm. offensive flow. So if it means that Burke spends, spends a, you know, play calling upstairs in the booth, then let's do it. Like you said, it's not a bad thing. It It's a good change that hopefully kicks these guys off and keeps them, you know, rolling and makes a little snowball, right? We keep talking about a snowball on top of a mountain, and if it keeps just rolling down and keeps snowballing and it's a good thing, let's just keep it up, right? Yeah. All right, let's get into our UAB preview. UTSA opened as a seven-point favorite. I think it's up to nine or ten points now. Yeah, it just depends where what gambling site you look at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, um, it's kind of interesting that it's uh, getting up there, especially after, you know, UAB beat USF. 56-35 last weekend. So, you know, that, that offense looked really good against USF. The defense looked like it played better. Uh, but it was USF. I mean, USF right. has made some strides, but I still think that they they need to take some further strides. We'll start out real quick. UAB, obviously, head coach Trent Dilfer. You know, it was, it was sort of a little chaotic, it felt at times, because, mm-hmm. you know, he's so outspoken, kind of brash. Seemed but, like an interesting hire for them, given that he's so different from Bill Clark and Brian Vincent before him. Yeah, I mean, those Bill Clark and Brian Vincent seem to be much like really based more on defense. Um, and, you know, they, they had a pretty good offenses. Trent Dilfer, though, has more of what Jeff Trailer calls an explosive offense. You know, they, they do pass quite a bit, and that's where they really kind of their bread and butter, but. They really started getting that rushing game going against USF, and it feels like they're starting to kind of get in that rhythm. Their offensive coordinator is Alex Mortensen. Name might seem familiar because his dad is Chris Mortensen, a longtime you know NFL reporter for ESPN. One thing I saw about from Alex Mortensen that really differed from Bill Clark and Brian Vincent was the fact that he really attacks the defense, whereas Bill Clark and Brian Vincent wanted to punish the a defense to the running game, Alex just will vary the attack. And so that really kind of has led to some success, mainly from one of their, probably their key cog here that we're going to talk about, and that's Jacob Zeno, the quarterback, actually out here from San Antonio. He started over at Baylor, but then transferred out and went to UAB. Uh, had a rough start to his career um, last year. He took over um, the quarterback position um, after an injury to their uh, starting quarterback, and he really kind of struggled with the offense. You know, mm-hmm. he, he had his moments early on. And then when he got to, like, to play against UTSA, it felt like, to me, he was being asked to do too much because it felt like he was still pressing. You know, he really didn't have high completion percentage. You know, it, it, they weren't asking him to throw the ball much. And he just, to me, never really felt comfortable back there. Sure. Of course, he still lit us up because, you know, that's what, what teams do against us. But, right. you know... He really has improved this year. Yeah, he looked much more comfortable, particularly in this game against um, South Florida. 
he seems like he's really kind of starting to come into his own. Yeah, he's got a really high completion percentage, and I was kind of talking about the fact that he was having problems last year in this in that offense. This year, seventy five point five percent, three out of four passes you're completing, ridiculous. He's recorded one thousand seven hundred ninety five passing yards, uh, along with twelve touchdowns and five interceptions. It, it's it's such an improvement, but I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's got a lot of really good weapons. Uh, a returning uh, running back in Jermaine Brown Jr. You know, he's churned out a team-best 270 rushing yards um, and has seven touchdowns. He has tacked on about 19 receptions for 145 yards. Um, he's being used more like a workhorse, though, much like Kevorian Barnes was last year because right. of the fact that his backup, Isaiah Jacobs, whose brother, Josh Jacobs, is running back for the Las Vegas Raiders, right now got uh, taken out last week because of a, an injury. Yeah, and it sounds like he's probably not going to play against UTSA as well, but we're not really sure. Yeah, and, and you know, look, um, it just means that you'd have to kind of try to bottle up Jermaine Brown a little bit more. Sort of a sh- shorter, kind of shiftier runner, um, but still dangerous now that, you know, I think Alex Mortensen has started kind of getting a nice hold on this offense. And, I mean, again, can't gush enough about Jacob Zeno. He's really doing a very good job commanding this offense. You know, he's got Tejuan Palmer, his returning receiver uh, from last year, but he's got a new receiver in Amari Thomas, who... 17-year-old kid, but he's making an impact on this offense. Yeah, it's pretty impressive to see, you know, first of all, a 17-year-old freshman, um, but definitely one that, that is making such a big impact at this point. And one of the things that you probably heard a lot about UAB was the fact that they really didn't have very many returners um, from last year. I mean, the roster really did turn over quite a bit, but the parts that stayed have been very key and integral to this offense, Jacob Zeno, um, Palmer, Brown. You know, so there, there's not a lot of them, but the ones that are here and that have returned are making a big impact. Talk to me about this offensive line. Yeah, the offensive line, on the other hand, um, all five are new. You know, they may have been with the team before, but they weren't starters. Beginning of the season was absolutely pitiful. In the game against Louisiana, they allowed seven sacks um, on Jacob Zeno. Now, they made a couple of key changes, which seem to really be working, particularly at guard. Um, and they've only given up five sacks in the last three games. So five sacks over three games in comparison to one game with seven sacks. So you can see that those changes at guard really have made um, a big difference for them. Absolutely, you know, and, and that has really kind of helped to kind of spur on essentially Zeno's success, right? You mm-hmm. know, the, the better they can protect him, the better it is for him to kind of conduct this offense. All right, let's get to the defense. A defense that seems unrecognizable from the Clark and Vincent, Vincent years because of the fact that it just is not very good. Yeah, it has definitely been struggling. And there were two interesting quotes that I took from reporters about this defense. One of them was right before the game against South Florida. They said, this offense is a speed racer. The defense might as well act as a traffic cone. (laughs) The other quote was even worse, and it was after the Louisiana game. They said, this defense couldn't stop a turtle. Ouch. Ouch. Now, again, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to see UTSA put up, like, 55 points against this team, but definitely tells you that it is not the defense we have seen in the past from UAB. Absolutely. And I think a lot of it has to do with a new defensive coordinator. Again, you have a new head coach, you have a new defensive coordinator. 
you know, whether it's inexperience from the defensive coordinator or whether it's just the players just not uh, making the plays that they need to, um, there are quite a bit of weak spots. You talked about, you know, the fact that this roster was kind of turned over. And I don't know that it was injected quite as much with talent as we think it was. I mean, when you have a team that's really getting kind of turned over quite a bit, it's going to be difficult to plug every single hole. So they give about 440 yards per game. You know, again, pretty high. They do have some familiar names, much like on the offense they had. They have defensive lineman Fish McWilliams, a 6'1", 305-pounder, who's wrecked havoc for the UTSA offensive line before. Hashtag last year. And he will continue to do so this year. I think he's going to be one to watch, um, along with and Emmanuel Waller. You know, highly rated defensive end coming off the side. You know, this defensive line is a strength of the UAB defense. However, once you get past that defensive line, you get question marks, especially on the linebackers and the safeties. And, you know, it kind of sounds familiar. UTSA is a lot Mm -hmm. like that. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how they attack this UTSA offense. Um, They do have another name that I, um, Mac McWilliams, uh, who's a cornerback, good player. I think he's probably going to be put on Josh Cephas. So it's going to be an interesting kind of battle between the two of them and see, hopefully, at least for us, Josh Cephas wins that battle. Let's go and talk about the keys to victory. On offense for UTSA, they need to attack those UAB linebackers and safeties with the run game. You know, talked about the fact that, you know, there was a weak spot there, and that's because the group of linebackers and safeties are some of the worst tacklers on this team. Mm -hmm. You know, they miss a lot of tackles. They seem to have a lot of missed assignments. There's a lot of confusion with them. I think this much more organized UTSA offense can attack that and be successful. And, and I think that that's going to be the key. On defense for UTSA, they need to dominate this UAB offensive line. So, you know, stop me if you heard that before from last week, right? Um, one thing that Coach Trailer had talked about after the game, Temple game was that he kind of wished that they installed more blitz packages to really kind of throw off EJ Warner some more. So I think, or I would say I would expect him to have Jess Lepp install more blitz packages in order to really throw off Jacob Zeno. I know they've only given up five sacks within the last three games that offensive line has, um, but I really feel like if you continue to attack, they're going to spring some leaks. There's some talent that they've kind of gone up against, but I think this UTSA defense is going to also provide quite a challenge. So let's get to the predictions. Want to go first? Sure. I mean, UAB has traditionally been a very tough matchup for UTSA. They've been inconsistent this season, but so have we. If we play well on offense like we did against Temple, I think this could be a very exciting game. While UAB's offensive line is playing better, I agree. I think our defensive line should be able to create pressure and make Zeno uncomfortable. Unlike Temple, UAB is not one-dimensional. They can also run the ball. So we'll need our secondary and our linebackers to step up so that we can avoid those really explosive plays. I expect this to be a high-scoring game and one that's going to go down to the wire. But give me UTSA 38, UAB 34. All right. Trent Dilfer and UAB at first seemed like just a weird fit. Mm -hmm. We kind of talked about it already, but... You know, I think if Trent Dilfer can, you know, improve this defense, they're going to be much better. But problem for him is that this game is being played now. I don't know that he can just overnight 
improve this defense. Uh, he'll have to infuse it with some talent, and you know he'll have that time in the offseason. Now, Jacob Zeno is very good. Really impressed with how he's improved, and I think he's going to continue to play well against this UTSA defense. But I just don't think that he's going to be able to overcome the deficiencies on UAB's defense in order to will this UAB team to win. Uh, look, it's been a month since UTSA has been in the Dome. Take that in for a second. It's been a month. It's yeah. weird. Um, and this non-conference schedule has to have been one of the most tumultuous ones. You know, whether it was Frank Harris's injuries, um, whether it's Justin Burke and how he can't call plays because, you know, obviously that's going to, you know, that's that's what we were talking about. All that has kind of come to a head against Temple and it feels like we finally found some solutions and I think that UTSA in this game is going to find more solutions as they try to get to 500. I think they get it done. Give me UTSA 45-31 over UAB. All right. Before I go, let's talk about some of the other scores in the American Conference this weekend. Navy beat North Texas 27 to 24 and FAU beat Tulsa 20 to 17. North Texas, I just don't know what to say. Like, they've, they've just regressed. Whereas I felt like, you know, this UAB team that we talked about, I thought that they would regress quite a bit. But you see that their offense is just potent. Um, North Texas just doesn't seem like it. I don't know. I don't know what to say about North Texas. But then again, I'm sure they'll probably get it together when it comes to playing UTSA. Yeah, uh, probably. I was kind of surprised to see that FAU beat Tulsa, to be honest with you. Um, I'll have to go back and watch that game more thoroughly but Tulsa played so well against Temple and FAU now having a new quarterback I just expected that Tulsa was going to win that game so I think I'll have to go back and watch more than just the highlights and see what happened there fair point but it just felt like uh Tulsa quarterback was just not as explosive as he was against Temple and Mm -hmm. you know looking at the way Temple played defense uh, you could you could see why maybe you know and I think FAU's defense is a little bit much stronger than, sure. than Temple's defense so you know obviously something to kind of look forward to there as, as we kind of review some of this quote unquote game tape <laughs> as we preview some of these uh, games in the future. Um, on the basketball front, we'll have a preseason preview coming up in the next couple of weeks, but this week was their media days. Jordan Jenkins was named to the preseason conference second team. Ooh. Some people might be surprised that she was chosen for the second team, but you know I do think also the fact that people know she's injured now may have played a piece of that. Um, overall, the women were finished or were picked to finish eighth preseason. The men, not surprisingly, are picked to finish last. Um, but again, I don't think anyone really knows what to make of this team because it is basically a new men's team. Yeah, that's fair. And I think there's not a lot that you can say, like you said, because we don't know many of these players, but we do know the women's players. Really excited to see Jordan Jenkins uh, get the preseason conference second team. You know, obviously outstanding player. You know, the freshmen from last year have, you know, are a year older. You brought in some talented freshmen. You actually returned another kind of super senior in Haley Atwell. So there's a lot of good pieces. We're going to actually go to the basketball takeoff tip-off tomorrow night so you know hopefully we can catch some more tidbits and if there's anything else we can share we will but you know really excited for the women's team you know to be honest with you after being essentially one of the last place teams it's kind of risen uh, from the ashes so to speak uh thanks to you know 
Coach Aston, and I just, I don't know, I'm just excited about the women's team. <laughs> I could yeah. gush a little bit more about it, but I'll stop. And, you know, and I think, again, one of the things that Coach Aston said in the media days was that there's still a large amount of young players on this team because she did have a lot of freshmen playing last year. Yeah. So they're just sophomores yeah. this year. They brought in three freshmen. So, again, you're still continuing to see how this team is growing and building. And over the next two years, I think it's really going to take some step steps forward and likely be picked higher in the rankings. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's just, yeah, I mean, there, there's just a lot to like about the makeup of the team, you know, and, and some, especially, you know, the, some of the freshmen from last year, you know, it looks like I think they're going to be some key contributors this year. So, you know, it, it, it'll be good to see how they mix with um, with the veterans and how the new freshmen also mix because I, I like some of that new talent and some of the things I've seen from some of the practice video. Before we finish up the before we go, I do want to bring up something about A Tobes. You know, obviously um, a huge Iowa State fan. Yeah. And, and a former Iowa State quarterback is kind of tearing up the NFL, Brock Purdy. Yeah. Unfortunate for those of you who are listening that are Cowboys fans, um, the 49ers obviously beat the, the Cowboys very handily. Um, you know, and, and my advice to you, first of all, if you are a Cowboys fan, would have just been to say you were there to support Spencer Burford. Um, and, you know, maybe you're not really a, a 49ers fan, but you could have been a Spencer Burford fan that day, right? Um, but yeah. For those of you that don't know a lot about Brock Purdy, and I, I can't imagine that most people don't know a lot about Brock Purdy, just given his story, went from being one of the most talented Iowa State quarterbacks. I mean, we talk about Frank Harris and all of the records that he's broken at UTSA. Well, that's kind of how Brock Purdy is at Iowa State. He holds most of the, the key records um, as a quarterback for Iowa State. Again, you know, there were times when he kind of took the team on his shoulders, maybe made some mistakes, played hero ball. Um, and so I think that hurt him when people were looking at him in the NFL, comes in as Mr. Irrelevant and, you know, has obviously made all of the strides and, and shut down a lot of the, the doubters about him and his performance. And it's really great to see him come back from a very significant injury and just probably play the best football of his life. So really excited for him. Um, hope to see his continued success. And again, I think if you look at him and his story, and then you take that and translate it to some of these UTSA players that are looking to go into the NFL, even if you are not picked to be that first, second, third round draft pick, these are the people that you can look at as examples of you know, how they took where they ended up in the draft and, you know, decided that they were going to make the most of their opportunity and have now turned into be very successful. That's a very good way of putting it. That's excellent. And that's why I really wanted to bring up Brock Purdy because I felt like really good story. You have UTSA players that are facing some, you know, NFL decisions in the future, right? And, so And part of Brock's success is because Spencer Bur Burford is playing so well on the offensive <laughs> line. So right there, we can tie it all back yeah, to UTSA. Yeah, there you go. You know, and we got Leroy Watson on the practice squad who no doubt one of these days will, you know, we'll see him on the, the offensive line and uh, maybe it'll be Leroy Watson and Spencer Burford, you know, protecting my boy. There you go. UTSA connection. That's right. 
All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up for us um, at the Hail Married podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Atoves. And I'm the Toves. We'll be back next week to recap our win against UAB. Birds up.